Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Did you, does Jesus live inside of you? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you, have you heard words like this before? Right? Everybody has. Of course, of course you've heard these words because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Invite Jesus into my heart. Or I, my, my favorite, more interesting language, I accepted Jesus when I was 12. Like, he passed the test, so I accepted him. He made it in. Where did this idea come from? Jesus living in our hearts or, or having God with us, having, having a dwelling of something in us, the Holy Spirit functioning with us. Certainly one would say it's found in the Gospels, right? John, uh, all over the Gospels, but John 14, the Spirit of truth will be in you or could be read in the Greek, among you. Take note of that. Or Paul's words, particularly appropriate to this point, do you not know, he says in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know, do you not realize that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you for, you, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Wow, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? I mean, we are the temple? But if you keep on reading a little bit and get into 1 Corinthians 6, Paul kind of in classic form confuses that just a little bit. Peter said Paul's hard to understand, and he is. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16 after just saying we are the temple. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? So that's not the definite article that says the temple. It says a temple. That's Paul saying this. We are little sanctuaries where God dwells. That's what he's saying. So certainly the concept of God being in us or Yeshua, more directly the Holy Spirit, that should remind you of something though. It should remind you of something that we're talking about. And by way of remembrance, just in case you don't know, what we're talking about is last week, the tabernacle. Viasuli, he says, they shall build. Viasuli mikdash v'shechanti betocham, and they shall build me a sanctuary that I may live among them. God says to Israel in the Torah. But sadly, when you think of Jesus living in your heart, those verses don't tend to come up for a lot of people. Well, actually, they do. They do tend to come up a lot in discussion, but only long enough to confirm that God dwelling in a place on earth is a defunct idea. That doesn't happen, right? According to this way of thinking, it may have, but no. Nah. These, these, these New Testament ideas and other verses create this idea in much of Christian thought that the temple, the temple, especially the mikdash, the tabernacle, is replaced by what? Us. Paul says it. We are the temple. We are God's temple. God doesn't reside in temples made of stone, a good Paul Wilbur song says. Or tents made of goat hair. Give me a break. And he doesn't reside among us, but in us. And of course, 
By this reasoning, the destruction of the temple indicates that that whole system is truly defunct and replaced. We don't do that. We don't have that. We don't even think like that. And therefore, therefore, outside of reading these chapters in the Torah about the tabernacle, soon to get into other even more detailed things about blood and guts and fecal matter and all kinds of stuff. The only reason that we read those things is because they're on our read the Bible in a day, in a year plan. And we got to, it's like, (laughs) okay, I got through Exodus. Leviticus. There's nothing in that for us, right? As disciples, especially these tabernacle portions, we're it. Okay, all right. But is that a novel idea that God dwells in us? Is that something that we were waiting for Jesus and Paul to come and explain to us? Is, is, that, is that never heard before teaching? Well, of course it is. No, it's not. It's absolutely not new. It is not new. It's a completely Jewish understanding of the fact that both things can exist. God can dwell in a tabernacle and God can dwell in us, right? His presence was in the temple. It was in the tabernacle as he promised. It was in the temple when the tabernacle settled in there. Maybe not so much in the second temple, but he says, I shall dwell among them. But Hasidic Judaism says something else, or adds to that. Because Bitocham can also be translated in them. I shall dwell in them, it says, not just among. They shall build me a dwelling place, and I will be in them. Do you hear that? That's what Paul said about being a little sanctuary where God dwells. Where did Paul get that idea? Well, Hasidic Judaism is clearly a later thought of development, but ideas don't just appear out of nowhere in Judaism. As a matter of fact, Hasidic Judaism and Messianic Judaism have a lot lot in common. But here's our point. How do we do that? It's not a New Testament-only idea. How do we do that? How do we make ourselves little sanctuaries? And this might be controversial. God knows I'm terrified of saying something that could offend people up here. So please, be with me. It shouldn't be controversial. It's not just about accepting Yeshua. Okay? Okay? As it pertains to the world to come, yes, no other way to enter into the holy place that is the world to come, the presence of God. But as to building a sanctuary out of yourself in which God can dwell, that's something different. It's not just about accepting Yeshua into your heart. And you know how I know that for certain, and I'm confident to stand in controversy on this? You know how I know it? Because Yeshua said it. In John 14, again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you hear the first part? 
He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. How do we sanctify the space in us for God? Well, here's the easy answer. By following the directions he gave us. Okay? It's not complicated. It's not controversial. But listen to me. We, it, when we don't understand what's happening in the Torah portions that we're reading now, the seemingly, seemingly completely irrelevant Torah portions, we're going to miss the message that Yeshua just communicated right there. You will miss that. It's bigger than Exodus, Tabernacle, Leviticus sacrifices. From the beginning, God has dwelt in sacred spaces. His presence, the Garden of Eden, literally from the beginning. Spaces that were prepared for him to dwell. And in those spaces, there were rules. Nobody likes that word. Rules. Proper ways where he would be there or he would not be there. And when his presence showed up there, which he promised it would, there, were a particular, there was a particular way that things would be ordered and maintained. There was a particular way to behave within that space. And how do we know how to order and maintain those things? You ready for the shock of your life? He wrote it down. It's been written down for a long, long time. But he knows we're a little simple, so he wrote it down. Giving explicit instructions. And that was the tabernacle and the temple. We get that. We, Rabbi, we get that. But we don't have that anymore, the temple, the tabernacle. But we do. But we do. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Forget about the direct pronouns and all that stuff. We are not the temple in the sense of what stood in Jerusalem. It, that's it. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Paul's symbolic language is to absolutely say, you are a holy dwelling place for God, like the temple. And the same idea that is detailed for how you approach God in sacred space in the temple and tabernacle actually applies to us as well. With dyes and curtains and, and rings and goat hair? Mm, not exactly. We set up a, you know, there are rules for setting up the physical space. That is, you know, uh, how you're going to set and make and bring the tabernacle all together. And of course, there are rules for how we're going to do that in our own lives. In Hasidic Judaism, and I would say in Messianic Judaism, according to Yeshua, build me a sanctuary. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell in you. Yeshua said it in so many ways, but no more profoundly than what I wrote you, wrote you. If you keep my word, my father will love you and we will make our home with him. He will keep my father's word. The word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. What is the father's word who sent Yeshua? Do I need to do it again? He wrote it down. 
And it's also the prophets, and it's also the words of Yeshua, and the Psalms. I mean, we talk Torah in a big picture, but when Yeshua says that, when Yeshua says, when you follow the rules, my Father and I will come and dwell in your heart. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell in you. There is a completely backwards way of understanding Yeshua that we just absolutely, I think we know, of course, but it has to be dealt with. People, people, many, many people, prominent people in Messianic Judaism, particularly in, in Israel, Israeli Messianic Judaism. They say that Torah, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant exists for one reason. It all points to Jesus and that's it. That's it. It all points to Jesus. One for Israel, as a matter of fact, is probably one of the most prominent Israeli evangelistic organizations that says that. And they're very popular among evangelical Christians. One for Israel. They, among millennia of Christian teachers, say that the purpose was to point to the end of the story, Yeshua, nothing more. What is the true story? What is the actual true story? The true story is that when you find Yeshua, accept Yeshua, whatever word you want to use, He in turn points you back to where? The Torah. So that you can follow the instructions that His Father spoke through Him to live your life, that they might come and make a home within you. It doesn't end with Yeshua. It begins with Yeshua. And saying that to a bunch of Israeli Jews that you expect to become Christ followers to say the Torah points to him, except it be done with that garbage and let's go this way. That doesn't work. And it doesn't work for us. Yeshua points you back and guess, I, listen to this. This just came to me at 4.30 in the morning. In my old age, that means I have to reach over and pick up my phone and make a note, or I won't remember it in two hours when I wake up. So I made a note. There are many times when Yeshua is talking to somebody that he doesn't even talk about coming through him first. Did you realize that? He points them back to the Torah. Who? Who's an example? Zacchaeus. The Samaritan woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, all the rich young ruler, all kinds of people, that Yeshua is pointing them to Torah. Yes, on the road to Emmaus, he says, have you not read the book of Moses where it says, I mean, I'm in it. And then he explains it to him, but that's not the end. And this is a tangent that came at 4.30 in the morning, but it's important. It's important to what I'm talking about. He told those people, Zacchaeus, and he told them, sanctify your space. Follow the words that my Father is speaking through me. Sanctify your space that we might come and dwell with you. Your life and how you order it and how you listen to God's commands, guess what we can compare it to? Curtains, silver sockets, poles, dyes. Breastplates, ephods, and linen breeches, which we read about in this week's Torah portion. 
the priestly garments. And every other micro detail that we read and want to gloss right over, it can be exactly compared back to your life. And this is, the, this is what I mean. This is the bigger picture of what the Torah is teaching us through some of these minutiae. The daily application, all of those instructions were about how you prepared a physical space for God to come and dwell. All the rest of the Torah is the instructions to you. It's about you, and we like that. How we should follow the instructions to prepare a physical space for God to dwell. And that teaches you how to prepare and maintain the place where the Spirit of God dwells within you. Because I want to let you in on a secret. You house, you house the essence of the divine in your body. Is that incredible? It's true. And to be clear, very clear, this is not to say that in order to be saved, saved, that's a pretty big word to define, saved. It's not to say you need to do a bunch of work, okay? I want to explain something to you about the tabernacle. Um, You know, nothing was special about a particular piece of ground where they set up the tabernacle. The clouds leading, the fires following, and all this stuff, and God's telling them, all right, up and move it, man, set it up right here. When they stepped onto that ground, it was not holy, But once the presence of God filled the tabernacle that they set up and established there, guess what? Don't mess with that ground. And the same thing happens to you as you become a disciple of Yeshua. You are not holy. I got bad news for you. You might be doing a really good job, but you're not perfect and you're not sanctified in essence to go into the world to come. Yeshua comes and turns this into holy ground. And then what happens? He points you right back to the instruction manual and says, this is how you maintain the holy ground. You get it? It's not complicated. It's not controversial, but it's gone. The concept is gone. Even if you don't always like the things I say, even if you don't always understand the things I say, dig into them and learn for goodness sakes. But one more point of consideration. We talked about the tabernacle establishing for Israel that God is one. You probably don't remember this last week. Most people were asleep. God is one. He's in one place. He's going to worship and be worshiped in one place. The establishment of the concept of monotheism by the tabernacle. You remember any of that? I said it. You can listen. But here's the point. That same concept applies to you. In a unique way, your tabernacle, you are unique. You have a unique singularity. There's no one like you. You know this. This is not a self-help or psychiatric message. You know this. There's nobody like you. God made one of you. And your unique tabernacle where God dwells, this is the one place where you meet most profoundly with God. It should be, anyway. This is a nice place. But this is a really nice place where God takes up residence. And you can go to all kinds of sacred places in the world. You can go to the Wailing Wall and wherever. But your little sanctuary, your little connection is your unique spot for God when you maintain it. 
when you maintain it. And to be incredibly clear and to speak in concert with Yeshua, with the apostles, even with Paul, the maintenance of your personal meeting space is influenced by your heart's connection to God's instructions. Where do we find those instructions? That's how you learn. And while it may not be instructions about clasps and sockets and sacrifices, those things can be compared to our own little set of details about how we construct this tabernacle. Maintain it. Loving our neighbor, not causing a brother to stumble, not hating in our hearts, not gossiping or taking advantage of the meat, meek, or even how we eat, how we work, how we don't work. All of these are ways, these are, like it or not, rules about how you maintain your tabernacle so that God and Yeshua will take up residence there. And someone could argue, hmm, foghorn leghorn comes to mind. Aye, 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 aye. Well, I do declare, I believe I hear legalism there. <laughs> Chill out, Foghorn. It's not legalism. It's not works righteousness. It's not even about salvation. It's about intimacy. It's about power in your life. God having a place to dwell. Because guess what? He wants to. A lot. And how sad, how incredibly sad to consider that that has been undone by theology that developed in the absence of Torah and Jewish thinking. The thinking that informed the Gospels, that informed Yeshua's words. And here's the progression. If God's done with the temple, clearly means, that means sacrifices are bye-bye. If sacrifices are gone, so is the priesthood. If the temple sacrifices and priesthood are gone, well, that does away with pretty much the entire system of the old covenant, which it turns out in this way of thinking, quite logically, Jesus came to get rid of anyway. So that's convenient. This obsession with law and rules and structure, thank God it's passed away. And therefore, the law has passed away because the one who came to fulfill the law took it off of me and I'm fulfilled. And so none of it matters, particularly to read things about tehillet and curtains and rods. How tragic the fact that the whole thing is chucked. All these chapters in Leviticus, you know, they're viewed as obsolete, irrelevant, and disregarded. And the Old Testament is obsolete, like people like to quote Hebrews. That, that the things we do are uh, a burden. And I can't, I, I hate to use diet as an example, but it's just, it's too easy, but I'm going to. We've talked about whether or not eating pork sends you to hell. Does it? Of course not. We've talked about obligation to Torah, to roles, to identity, to distinction. So this isn't a slam if you eat bacon and eggs. But, but to suggest in any way that God changed his mind about that when he told Israel what to do and why did Israel, why was Israel told to eat that way? Well, it's healthy for your body. The pig, uh, you know, eats its own fecal matter. And, uh, be holy because I am holy. That's the, that's the reason. There may be others that we don't know, but that's the reason. 
So what is that saying? That is saying, follow these instructions that you would be more like me. You will be holy and thus I will be more present in your life. To imagine, to suggest that Yeshua erased that instruction, that's tragic. So listen, here's the conclusion, because you get the point. This is, this, I could be accused of this being just a, re, a trope. You're always talking about the Torah. I'm not a lot, but I am now. I invited Jesus into my heart. Jesus lives in my heart. I remember <laughs> talking to Kelly, that telling me as a little girl, her grandpa would tell her about Jesus living in her heart, and she would ask, well, how does he fit in there? <laughs> you know, probably a pretty common question, question for kids. How, how does he breathe? Like little, little tiny Jesus. Long hair. <laughs> beard. Little tent in the heart. But, you know... <laughs> As funny as that is, it's a pretty powerful image for what we're talking about. Thank you, little girl Kelly. I invited him into my heart. Ready? Listen. Imagine if I invited you over to my house for a party. Travis. Travis. Hey, listen. You know I love you. you you've done so much for me. I want to I spend some time with you. I want to dwell with you for a while. I'm going to invite you over. I want to have a great party for you. Tell me, what would make this the best place you could ever come to visit? I want you to write it down and tell me. Wow. Cool. Okay, I'll, I'll make a list, Travis says. You get me the list, and I say, oh, yeah, man, we are, we are going to have a good time. This is going to be great. And then he shows up, and he walks in into the house, and it's filthy. It's filthy. Piles of dust and dirt and hair and upturned roaches laying around, dust balls. It's dark, it's musty. There's one little lamp from 1972 over in the corner. It stinks, it's moldy. No nachos here. The only food you're getting is what's crusted onto the plates that are stacked six feet high in the kitchen. And there I am, sitting in my lazy boy with the recliner, shirtless, beer gut, sweat, and Travis walks in, he's like, um, um, uh, come on in, Travis, sit down. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to sit on the porch and, and wait until you're ready for me. Doesn't look like you're ready. Did you get my list? Oh, yeah, I got it, Travis. I got it. I just didn't think you were serious about any of those things. <laughs> Besides, listen, I started reading it. I lost interest pretty quickly. It was a lot of work. And gosh, you know, looked like it was going to be hard to do. So, and you know what? Sometimes that's what we look like. I imagine Kelly's tiny Jesus invited into the tabernacle of our hearts as a guest. 
And I ask myself, what, what kind of room does he enter in my heart? But the truth is, it's not tiny Jesus. It's not tiny Jesus. It's the very, very big and powerful spirit of the living God, which you've asked to dwell inside your tabernacle. And he said he would. Your one and only sacred space where you meet with God in a way that only you can. How do you want to maintain it? Is it worth seeking out? Is it worth doing a little bit of work? Is it worth reading some things you don't understand? Is it worth applying these things to your life? E probably. Striving, if I can use a challenging and legalistic word, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, to create a beautiful place for the presence to dwell, to keep my word. Yeshua said to us, so that me and my Father will take up residence in your heart. If you read these seemingly monotonous portions, nothing worth doing is ever easy. And all the preparations, all the instructions, it was the sacrifice that invited the presence. And God said, I will sanctify this tent of meeting in the altar. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priest. Nothing I've said to you today is about salvation. Nothing. You don't have to get weird about that. Nothing. The sacrifice, sacrifice of Yeshua gives you access. Like I said, it sets up a holy ground space. Invites, gives you the opportunity to invite, invite the presence. Allows your mikdash, your, your tabernacle to be filled with overflowing. The invited guest to the party. Guess what? He won't leave. But do you want him to sit on the porch? And waiting for you to get ready? I don't think so. I'd rather live a life filled with power and presence. Yeshua is the Moses for us. He's made us a tabernacle. He's given us access to the spirit and power. So before we move too quickly through these Torah portions and the clasps, the dyes, the linen breeches, the sacrifices, the poles, I don't want you to miss the deeper connection. Beyond the cool stuff, you can learn about those things. And there's great stuff. As I've said, there's David has books in the library. David has models. David has teachings and Torah study about the clasps and the dyes and probably even Aaron's underwear. <laughs> so there's cool stuff, but there's a real practical aspect. God wants us to make him a space where he can dwell in us every day. And sorry to use another Nacho Libre line. These are the things I love to do every day. Every day. Yeshua gave us that privilege. Right? The Holy Spirit, and I will dwell among the sons of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I might dwell among them, or in them, I am the Lord their God. And Yeshua said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. 
May today's message take up residence in all of our tabernacles and remind us often of the opportunity we've been given for God to dwell in us. Shabbat Shalom.